Welcome to the season 2 of the India Energy R podcast. The India Energy R podcast explores the most pressing hurdles and promising opportunities of India's energy transition through an in-depth discussion on policies, financial markets, social movements and science. The podcast is hosted by energy transition researcher and author Dr. Sandeep Pai and senior energy and climate journalist Shreya Jai. The show is produced by multimedia journalist Tejas Dayananda Sagar. Talking about climate change, especially in the developing world, is no longer a topic of so-called academic interest. There are now multitudes of issues involved, countless lobbies on both sides of the debate, and a largely uninformed public. Climate communication in such a scenario becomes pertinent and as important as the climate issues themselves. But climate comms, especially in the West, have long been alleged for whitewashing facts and greenwashing any and every step that the global north took to tackle climate change. In the middle of this, Aarti Khosla launched what can be said to be India's first dedicated climate communication platform, Climate Trends. Khosla has been in the communication sector for her whole career and has been associated with leading NGOs, climate groups, etc. Khosla is also director Carbon Copy, a dedicated platform for climate-related news. Welcome to the show, Aarti. We are delighted to have you with us. Hi Aarti, welcome to the India Energy R. We are very delighted to have you. It's a very interesting area of work that you are into, and we are very interested to know about it. Uh, climate communications is something that is that is not explored beyond getting stories out. So for us, it is an opportunity to learn more about what comprises of this segment, how you drive news, how you are trying to be a little bit of change makers out here. So welcome to the show and thank you again for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me and I'm very pleased to be here. Before we dive into the topic that we have decided for today Aarti, it would be great to know a little bit about yourself. What has been your professional journey? Where are you from? How did you land up into this climate sector? Was it a personal experience that made you do it or it was just simply a professional choice? Can you tell us a bit about yourself? I think I'm a recovering NGO communicator. I've spent quite a bit of years, almost 10 years communicating around issues of environment conservation as they pertain to society. I used to work for many years at the World Wildlife Fund WWF India. Before that I used to work for Terry back in the days which was almost a rite of passage for those who were interested in issues of sustainable development in early 2000s. by training i have graduated in zoology and even as a child i think i was always passionate about reading up on science communicating on science and as i went into the professional world i did realize that science communications is not only quite underplayed it also sits extremely technical in the indian context and whatever communicators can do to make it simple digestible will be a huge service i think we all have done it in one form or the other in running a campaign on tiger conservation or talking about how rivers are important and forests are important but climate in that sense was a natural progression and i also do think that especially for people like us who have spent 15 years plus into the area of environment so to speak climate has been a very evolving as well as a very attractive subject which has come to attention more than it was about a decade ago and the fact that there are so many intersections that you can draw from climate change with respect to any other development issue and social issue also makes it quite an overlier among all the other issues and in that respect i think having worked in various kinds of media campaigns social interest campaigns public interest information campaigns climate has really been some kind of a place where i have funneled in that sense that that's great 
What have been some of the most successful campaigns that you have run over the years? It could be from tiger conservation to now on renewable energy. Are, are there some campaigns that have really hit home and you've been like really excited about? In at least the last five or seven years of my work and five years of existence of climate trends, I think the whole style of communicating about climate has changed a lot and we've played a fair amount of role in contributing to it. And that's one thing, if given a chance, I would definitely like to talk about. One is the fact that globally as well, the era of post-Paris climate discourse is very different from how it was many years ago. And I think just trying to assimilate it across the national, regional, local spectrum in India has been quite exciting. Even if you look at how climate targets in India started from being very internationally oriented rhetoric to the point where a lot of the discourse on climate action is now about the domestic imperative to act, I think uh, how we have been able to break it down and being able to connect to the international narrative at the top, as well as the local narrative working at the level of states, also at the level of you know particular regions, vulnerable regions, coal mining regions, uh, so on and so forth. That is a very big spectrum to have dealt with. And I think that was not possible before. That really calls for a specialized kind of thinking, which we have tried to bring. And I think it's also about bringing wider and new audience every time. Typically, a lot of the climate coverage was done by elite English language, mainline newspapers. And I think in the last five years, the way we've broken it down into reaching out in different languages, talking to regional media, making it relevant for them, even actually creating a glossary which will make sense to cover climate stories in Hindi, in Marathi, in Tamil, because there are words that don't exist for some of the English words. Of course, climate change is a phrase in Hindi, but a very often used English words like decarbonization probably don't have an equivalent in many of the regional languages in India. So if you have to tell the story in a way that it pertains to India and it way it pertains to people, I think uh, that must be something that we'd like to work more on. So that's definitely one thing in terms of important campaigns that we've worked on. Uh, was this the genesis of climate trends and carbon copy both? Or is there a story behind that? What led you to establish something called climate trends in India? Few things. Uh, one, like I said, you know, the language of climate conversation is very Anglo-centric. It has always been. That is how it remains. For people who have followed the policy aspects of climate conversations, can still refer to some countries as Annex 1 countries, which is basically the developed countries, and the others are, you know, the non-Annex 1 countries. Things like low-carbon pathways and decarbonization, at least in our view, don't lend to a lot of the mainstreaming process. And the mainstreaming of climate is becoming fairly important. Whether you look at the heat wave of this year or you look at the floods that are happening, you look at the Reserve Bank of India asking for a paper on climate change, or you look at the government of Tamil Nadu wanting to put one fellow in every district in the state, it's quite clear that climate change is becoming a determinant of policy decision making. People like us have tried to be innovative in how we are telling the story so that climate is understood as the interconnected issue that it is. And to that extent, I think Climate Trends was created as a specialized agency, which does not mean to duplicate the efforts that are already underway, because a lot of think tanks are doing some really good research and we are not good enough to do that. But we are good enough to make the connection, to facilitate the conversation, to connect the dots and to tell the story. And that's what we pretty much do. And I think there is a lot of role to be played to be able to connect academics, good research, to those who will tell the story. And we have tried to do that by connecting a lot of journalists, writers, communicators, influencers with, for example, an IIT professor who is doing a lot of good research, but is typically not a communicator by nature. So I think we have tried to be innovative in that way. And in that sense, you can say that this is a startup which has been created, realizing that there is a gap and we have tried to play that space. 
that's great to know you know because energy transition words like energy transition just transition climate change are now catching up at least in the mainstream media and that's a good sign both for you as a climate communicator and both for me as a journalist and sandeep as a researcher but i wanted to understand how difficult and easy it is to say break down a technical issue which could be of of great global importance but as you mentioned that you like to go into local and regional issues as well i'll take the example of say what happened before yesterday india's union cabinet approved our ndcs first of all we will have to go out and explain ndcs till say 5 6 years 10 years back no mainstream media in india even bothered about uh, indc it's, it's it's now suddenly a fad how do you break it down how do you break it down for say a regional media local media or for laymen how did you tackle this indc issue that happened this week fair question first of all we also still do believe that a lot of the messaging is not directly relevant to all kinds of groups as a consumer of news my parents would like to understand what the paper says on how india is tackling the issue of climate because they understand that something is going on with the weather but probably they will not be very clued in into how various policy measures are being taken and what the terminology is what are the various kinds of international processes that govern it so on and so forth and we have tried to address it in a step by step approach we have tried to believe that every aspect of very technical communication related with climate change is not relevant for everybody however we have tried to make this simpler and wider for more and more people what we did for example with your pointed question on what did we do with this ndc i think now we've come to a point where journalists filing in india on climate issues themselves have broadened and branched out quite a lot when i started which was the year of the copenhagen cop we had a handful of friendly journalists who were filing on climate change that's no longer the case those colleagues have become veterans uh, and have switched topics some of them but at the same time many new people who are also quite enthusiastic about understanding the subject and breaking it down in their own way have come in so you have to take it in your stride that for a while still very geopolitically relevant aspects of climate will be covered as that geopolitical conversation there is a different story that needs to be told as it pertains to communities as it pertains to people as it pertains to citizens whether it's on air quality or on extreme weather events etc and those stories are being told quite a lot but it's not just still at a moment where you equate ndcs as something that indians will understand they don't have to there are several research that has happened as well the lived experience of indians on climate change is extremely high 85% of people if you survey will say that they have experienced climate change but if you ask them do they know what climate change is and yale had conducted this famous survey about 10 years back only about 8 to 10% people said they understand what climate change is so it's also a thing about are we trying to bring in a western concept which is called climate change and are we trying to thrust it down people's throats or are we really talking about new sectors of investments and technologies changing weather patterns water constraints affect the impacts on the agrarian economy all these things are very valid for all of us as news readers as consumers of news etc i have a more philosophical question i was wondering like who is your audience like as climate trends like is it the policy makers in delhi is the policy makers in local government state government or is it general people or both and what is your theory of change like the if by effectively communicating about climate issues first of all i want to know who is the audience and if at all if all of them then like what's the theory of change like how do you think climate communication can play a role in uh, you know india being more ambitious or people demanding more from governments to do about climate change in terms of our audience we have stayed away from keeping general public as our audience as an entity which is quite specialized in focusing on a particular topic we did not want to touch the bottom of the pit very soon because 
climate is such a sensitive topic in a way that it touches everybody's lives that as a very small and nimble team with limited resources we will not sure how we will go if we were to reach out to the public and a lot of us have done public campaigns a lot of colleagues in the team come from media background broadcast etc and i think as a group we decided that it's probably best if our theory of change is to reach out to influencers and influence them so that they go ahead and take the information out to the bulk of citizens where it's needed and i think it's in that spirit that we have engaged with a lot of journalists across the country we've engaged with a lot of researchers in india and across the world we've engaged with a lot of academics with the express purpose of being able to influence the influencers the second theory of change that we've tried to go with is really about looking at whichever data we can look at and try to create a more mainstream conversation with that you can take the case of air quality for 5 years 6 years and even now there has been so much conversation and yet progress is dismal but at least in the work that we have done by putting a first of its kind monitoring dashboard which monitors you know what's the central pollution control board's data from yesterday and putting that into public domain for anybody to see we have tried to democratize data and made it open for anybody you know who is able to assimilate this information to be able to see this data and make it out for themselves on where progress stands so i think we've invested some time and effort in using the power of data as well to create some story on what we are trying to say there is a lot of anecdotal evidence on which we can keep talking about climate issues and i think we are at a point in india where we are talking about anecdotal stories on every other front so we've tried to stay away from too much of generalized uh, storytelling but just be as specific as we can simply because of the nature of who we are i think our theory of change is also to collaborate which means that we don't shy away from helping the biggest organizations in the world who are talking about climate action to help them tell their story and we also don't shy away from supporting the smallest local ngo in a particular state who wants some help on cob strategy and i think just that sliding scale and big canvas that we have allows us to operate very flexibly in the middle and that's i think pretty much our theory of change to work with other partners to make collaborations to use data as a powerful medium to communicate to reach out to influencers and let them do the bulk of outreach excellent i think i i like the flexibility i love organizations that are flexible so that's really great i have a one question and it's kind of something that i also personally think a lot about so when i think about climate change or energy transition there's like a few aspects of this story right let's let's focus on energy transition so that it's my question is a bit more concrete and understandable so there's obviously two sides right one is the renewable side the clean energy side right you know things are amazing and you know like we need to transition renewables are growing that's that's one side of policy makers actors who are very interested in furthering transition then there's other set of actors who have a lot to lose from this transition right you know you have coal companies you have some power companies you have other contractors unions etc my strong belief is that energy transition is also about managing winners and losers like i'm not just talking about workers but interests right winners and losers what's your strategy i feel that communicating to the first which is the renewable side of the story is a much easier although difficult but much easier proposition compared to communicating and engaging with the later which is the interest that will lose out so have you thought about like any strategy that you're thinking of or maybe that's work in progress everybody is figuring out what to do about that but i i just wanted to get your thoughts on that fair question and to be honest i think you are a better person to answer that more deeply than us and we will take guidance from you but i will make an attempt i think as a group we are really cognizant and i say that because we also operate by witnessing how this is happening in other parts of the world and how organizations across the world are also pushing for quick immediate climate action the narrative on moving away from coal sometimes a very unidirectional swap between coal and renewables and i think in our engagements with anybody that we have engaged with it's quite clear to us that unless we are not able to communicate 
the social aspects of transition in a way that they make sense for either alternative livelihoods or finding out what will happen when one energy regime will end and another energy regime will start we will not be able to get to anywhere it's quite clear that you know the transition indeed will happen one kind of energy mix will go away the other kind of energy mix will come the losers from the older regime will not be the same people that will gain in the new one to be honest you know every time i go and travel i try to speak to taxi drivers a lot and uh, you know when i was in poland in katowice at the cop and the city was so glitzy and everything was so nice and i spoke with so many drivers to check you know how is it like where where, where is the economy coming where is the money coming from what's going on here and so many people just uh, when you dig down to that question of okay when uh, people lost jobs uh, what happened it's basically that one generation never got another job so it's always like you know my dad remained jobless for about 10 years and now i'm grown up and i'm driving a taxi it really kind of i think will break anybody's heart that we are talking about transition but we don't know the things that are so important basically i think a certain level of planning is needed even among a lot of the think tank ngo civil society community in india who are pushing for this drastic influx of the transition narrative but at the same time i think we don't know how to absorb it within the country and till the time we don't figure out how to absorb it we will not be able to get to where we have to be i will only say that we are committed to make it happen in the right way it will take many of us because it will be like a very large tanker and which is why that tanker will move very slowly but god forbid it goes in the wrong direction so i think it needs a lot of thought by many intelligent people before some real energy transition can happen in a particular state i have a slightly related but you know different question what makes climate trends stand out and i ask in the perspective as you mentioned it is it's becoming a fad it's a trend influencers are uh, talking about it good in a way but as an agency that you run what makes it stand out especially amongst academia because climate comms you would also agree comes with kind of a mixed image so how do you you know wade through that couple of things i think first it's however organically we built the team it's now a group of people who have done science communication for a large part of their career the concept of climate change actually just also came from the west and we have been able to try and make sense of it in our own context so i think that's one thing that we are trying to do which doesn't come very simply every time i have been in other organizations i have worked as communications a coordinator in other organizations and typically you have climate as one of the verticals or thematic and then you have an embedded comms person handling that issue i think we've taken it out from where it was embedded and we have really made it cross cutting and try to talk about climate in the context of weather climate in the context of vehicles and electrification climate in the context of energy climate in the context of impact climate in the context of communities and social issues and i think that that intersection itself has been valuable i also feel that what is interesting is that we have always kept our eyes open and our ears to the ground by nature and as an organization we try to duplicate as less as possible so if there is somebody else doing something we have always in the spirit of radical generosity tried to let it be and go ahead and do something else i think that allows empowerment and that also allows nimbleness and that brings impact i think that's my view because if too many cooks uh, spoil the broth but uh, that's that's an old way of saying it i think still remains relevant do you witness in india a lot of academic coming forward in the limelight to discuss issues to put their point forward what have you witnessed what has been the trend like in uh, 2016 when uh, air pollution became a very big issue and the winter period smog happened for the first time and in 2015 before that india had been the country with the most polluted cities and delhi was infamously on top suddenly there was you know interest among various kinds of groups to talk about air quality and when i say groups i don't mean academic groups 
we reached out to so many experts who we had known are working on climate issues, on atmospheric sciences issues, etc. And the answer that we used to get was, we don't work on air quality. Five, six years down the line, we have a lot of them really interested in the issue. I think the point that I'm trying to make is that academics and pure researchers have shied very much from communicating about any issue in a way that it makes sense to a wider society. It has to be made attractive for them. The proposition has to be palatable to them. The discussions have to be such that they are balanced and not motivated and not coming with an agenda. And I think all that is fair and fine. But even then, there is lots to be done by the academic community in just being able to step up and talk about the immense work that has been done. So many times when various ministers of environment have said that there is no correlation between the number of people dying and the poor air quality in states, we have actually gone to various kinds of institutions who have done the studies in an Indian context, not now, but probably two, three decades later. So if that kind of scientific rigor existed in the country in the 90s, definitely people have not spoken about it a lot that we are still debating whether there is correlation between morbidity, mortality, and air quality being poor. So there is a lot of room to cover. But I think the good thing is that we can be in an awful state and we can also be in a state of progress at the same time. I learned it recently and makes me feel that there is hope in the world. Speaking of air quality, and we talked about a bunch of different issues, like in your work, what are some like really thorny climate and energy issues that, you know, like you still have to think of a strategy so that, you know, I don't know, you don't offend the policymaker or you don't offend the key stakeholders or whether well, it's not even about offending, but it's more like, like what are some of the key issues that you find really hard to communicate or it's not so easy compared to others? So not just national. I mean, to be honest, I still feel that the ability to contextualize climate change as an issue which is not negative and dismal progress in the world is still a thing. Every year, there is so much effort that has been put into putting climate at the center of the debate that I think the way the the geopolitical conversations stand today, climate change is at the heart of those geopolitical conversations as best as any other time. So that box has been ticked. Given that so much has been said and so much drumbeat is there, I find it really difficult how to show that there is real progress after the drumbeat even. And I think that's a genuine issue that all of us face. There is only so much polishing that you can do. Last year at the COP in Glasgow, not just the way it ended, but also how across the two weeks, the energy in the corridors where plenary sessions are happening and the actual negotiations are happening are so low. And then you see the streets where you just don't have the kids, quote unquote, but you also have doctors, lawyers, various kinds of professionals who are working more and more, people from all walks of life who are frustrated about lack of progress. And I think that's one real issue for anybody communicating on climate, that there is no real progress. If you are really following science, you're looking at a two degree pathway, forget 1.5, then all the nationally determined contributions, NDCs that you say are anyway for a 2.4 degree world or 2.5. And, you know, the world will see a much warmer place. So that's a real challenge on how to communicate. I live in Delhi and Shreya will bear testimony to it as well. When the heat wave happened and it was 49 degrees, you don't adapt to 49 degrees. So how do you communicate about just one single issue which is going to set back Indians by a wide margin? We don't know the unknown determinant of it. We are not able to figure out. And I think as a communicator, I feel it's quite challenging to be able to say something useful apart from just the scientific studies and the fact that the human influence made the Indian heat wave 3,300 times more likely and all of that. So I think that's a challenge. And I also feel that given that things will need technological advancement, any progress will need money. The way the global situation is looking with every country having less and less money in the wallet, things are looking really difficult. 
We saw at the time of COVID how discrimination can happen and countries can put forward billions of dollars when it comes to their own health. But when it comes to solidarity, it is just an empty word. So I think it's really hard to communicate the whole concept of creation of nation states as such. And the fact that climate change itself does not have any boundaries and it's it's a it's a issue across boundaries. You know, it's like uh, taking a look at the physical map and trying to find an answer with the political map. The two just don't meet. And that itself is a big challenge. Could you mention uh, heatwave? Because I wanted to discuss issues very, very specific to India or the global south. There's this uh, very interesting story that a journalist from Zimbabwe told me. And I'll tell you why I'm telling you this story. So she said that there's this, her ancestral village. It's uh, somewhere where there's a water body. And she said that a lot of women do not have access to the hospital, especially women who are pregnant or about to give birth are not able to go to the hospital because the water body just fills up because there's a lot of water. Water just rises and they have not seen such levels in ages. And her investigation showed that deaths while giving birth have seen an exponential rise while the temperature rises in the country and the temperature is rising because of climate change. And she blamed it on the global north that while they have been burning coal and fossil fuel for so many years, women are dying here giving birth. Now, I, I'm telling you this because climate communication has been very, very global north specific. And climate groups, whatever have been here in India or in South Asia or the global south for that matter, have never specifically called out the global north for their hypocrisy. What are your thoughts on it? And if I may ask, what is your stand on this matter? So a couple of things. Of course, the cumulative emission of carbon dioxide, which has happened ever since the Industrial Revolution, and we've come to a point where the world is 1.1 degree warmer than it was in pre-industrial times, is causing the problem. And I think there is no taking away that fact. That fact does exist. The stories of local population getting impacted directly as a result of what happened 200 years ago are not stories that we can keep telling because we have made the problem statement. We are living through a problem statement is what I feel. We have to find some solutions on where we can go. The hypocrisy of US, I think, has been called now. There is enough discussion with whatever happened recently with Senator Manchin's decision-making, how the U.S. government could not put forward their decarbonization plan, how it sets back their own achievements of the nationally determined contribution. And despite, I think, just as recent as yesterday, a plan getting approved, they will still be 40% away from just their NDC achievement. These things are fairly public now. It is just that the nature of the climate debate, you're right, like you said, and I will say that again, is such that the Western nations have influenced the debate to quite a great degree. They've had great head start in being able to understand the legalities of the issue, in being able to understand the future landscape of where markets lie, the future landscape of where technologies lie, how technologies and finance will move. And I think in that spirit of being able to capture all of that for their own interest as well, there is a very clear evidence with all the years of the United Nations Framework Convention of Climate Change, the UNFCCC, on how every time there is absolute lack of trust between the developed and the developing countries, there is shifting goalposts by the developed countries. There is a commitment of finance and there is no finance on the table. And I think uh, that has been done enough. The problem really is that we can cry wolf, but what is it that we need to do? Because the imperative to act is our own. And I think that's where innovation will lie. That's where initiative and entrepreneurship will lie. And that is where a lot of innovative ways of raising funds will lie even. You gave a case from Zimbabwe. I think there is a similar case in Chhattisgarh as well. No, I don't know numbers, but the state government has made a commitment to turn all the health centers into solar. And there are actual analysis that have been done that out of the two, 300 health centers which have been turned solar, how many more numbers of deliveries have happened because they have a continuous power supply? How many people have been able to come for 
you know, emergency uh, procedures in that hospital as opposed to taking a five-hour drive and going to the other district. So there are these simple things also where you can make use of the simple solutions that are out there and make it solvable. Because in the end, somebody living in the village does not have massive needs. They just need basic provision of goods and services in a way that it is adequately supplied, it's reliable, it's on time. And I think just making all of that through innovative ways of financing and technology is something that we will have to really make a case for rather than only calling about hypocrisy. We can do that, but we definitely need solutions. And I think that's our stand on it also, that we can keep talking about the double standards of the world, but the domestic imperative to act will always take precedence, especially given the way climate impacts are building up. I understand your perspective that how much uh, can you you know, cry about the same old issues, but this is this is the climate fatigue that the West keeps talking about, but they are fatigued. We are not. And the reason that such stories, I believe, should keep coming to fore is because if Chhattisgarh could have converted 200 hospitals or whatever the number is into solar, the whole country has not. And for the whole country to do that would need a certain amount of funding and financing, which has not trickled in from the Western world, which is largely responsible for it. So I understand your perspective and also the perspective of Global Now that, yeah, enough of this conversation. Yes, we burned coal 200 years back. What now? But then if you look at it, it links to a larger issue of funding of, you know, polluter pays that is there. And, and second part of my question was that something that I have observed is that no one points out this hypocrisy, especially in India or in South Asia. The countries which have, have been asking for money have been very, very meek in pointing out this hypocrisy. Do you try and make an effort to highlight this in any way? We do. Let me say a couple of uh, things on this regard. I mean, finance itself is not only very complex and elusive, it is also becoming more and more uncertain. And I think given the macroeconomic situation in many countries will become even more uncertain. There are grand plans on paper about energy transition, plans about net zero, things like environmental, social governance, and shareholders becoming more and more conscious about how the companies and the corporates that they are investing in become far more responsive to climate issues. Despite all of this, finance remains the pain point. Several research have been done, several theories have been you know, put forward, but at the same time, I don't know if there is any simple answer to what finance for climate change will mean. Because in reality, I think finance for climate change will not come as climate finance, maybe. It will come as equity investment or it will come as debt in one form or the other for some kind of an energy project or an infrastructure project, which is low emission, or it will come for sectors like cement and steel, which will take less amount of energy to produce. So in the end, that's how things will all break up as. And I don't think that even that level of finance is coming. And again, you know, the definitions around these things are so blurred and the lines are so gray that even after working and communicating about this subject, I think we have to go back and check what is sustainable finance, what is green finance, what is climate finance, what is climate, you know, finance for mitigation, then there is finance for adaptation. So, and we are not living in a world where a dole will come from any kind of developed country to a least developing emerging economy. And I feel that the more we don't rely on that unilateral flow of finance and the more we can make a case for appropriate funding, you know, whether it is venture capital or private investment or some kind of business case that you can make for money to be invested in particular technologies because they are technologies for future and to come in markets because they are markets for future. I feel that in general, and I'm not a finance expert, I feel that in general, we might be able to better make a case of finance rather than talking about, for example, the 100 billion, which was 
promised in Copenhagen and we are not even at that floor. We all know that in the negotiation process, when discussions have to happen on finance, the long-term discussions don't lead anywhere because there are no interest in those conversations. And in those long-term discussions, we have the head honchos sitting of the private sector banks. So if you have private sector banks uh, and chiefs of those banks talking about long-term public finance, God save us, but that's where we are. Awesome. Um, let's move on to a bit more like process, right? We talked about like topics and communication. So like which modes of communication? Is it writing? Is it podcast? Is it like what modes of communication have you found to be most effective? Do you receive feedback like, okay, this this is something we really like, videos, for example, or writing? So I'm, I'm curious about that. Does that make sense if I say that anything which is simplified makes a lot of sense just because reams of report and technical information are so scary that when we have tried to simplify and create a five, you know, like a you scroll five times on the Instagram and you figure out what are the three main things or the five main things which the IPCC report on impacts is saying. That kind of stuff, I think, has had its pickup. When we have tried to be timely, I think it has helped us as well. Meaning that when the COP is happening and we have tried to address the issues around what it means for India to stay away from coal, that has really been quite helpful and people have picked it up. When we have tried to communicate in any language outside of English, it has had really big numbers of outreach. And I feel very challenged in some way because for us who are very small as an organization, it is very difficult to ascertain how so much information is being consumed in a local language and ultimately what can we do with that audience group of a million readers of a website who have seen that, but we don't know what to do with them next. So I think these are powerful things from our point of view. And most times, actually, we are also technical communicators. So if you see our website, Carbon Copy, it tries to break down very technical elements of where the climate conversation sits in the policy realms. We pick up as technical a subject as carbon markets and the articles within the Paris Agreement and what they mean. Maybe they don't mean a lot to thousands of people, but even if they mean something to a very small defined audience of Indian policymakers, Indian journalists who are writing and filing about it, Indian academics who would like to hear the viewpoint. So we have tried to pick up these underreported, technical, scientific, important policy issues, and we have tried to bring them out into the mainstream to a certain degree. And I think that has been quite valuable as well. And the one last thing that I think has been useful and in terms of process for what we have received a lot of feedback is when we play the role of a connector. So when we connect a professor to a journalist or we connect a local NGO to an expert, I think the cascade of that should not be undermined. And that really does not require us to be in the picture forever. But I think uh, in and of itself, that has been a valuable process because it just means that there have been far more interconnections than people would do otherwise. And I think the power of those interconnections has led to just natural, more communications on particular subjects. And we have seen that happen. We've seen that happen in telling the impact story. We've seen that happen in telling the air quality story. We've seen that happen in telling the story of how India should really look at altering the energy mix, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, something as simple as the wet bulb temperature we never thought that with with the work that we are doing to make a case for how heat and humidity are a complex phenomena, it will be possible that English papers in big cities will actually carry every day what the wet bulb temperature today is. You know, in Delhi, the last few days, the wet bulb was 31, 31.8, and the wet bulb in the world has never exceeded 35. So that's basically a concept where you explain what's the combined effect on the human body of heat, humidity, wind, etc. And basically the ability of the body to take that heat. So I think that these really have been complex subjects. And if if we've been able to reach out to very mainstream audience, very mainstream news with these kind of concepts, we have found, you know, this is valuable. Four or five years ago, we worked in Uttar Pradesh and, you know, worked with 
Hindi papers over there to encourage them to put monitors and air quality monitors and take the reading every day and put in their city editions. And few papers started to put on on the second page on top where every day they just had the AQI and maybe that number made no sense. But over a period of time, just putting, you know, the AQI key or the legend beneath and for people to see repeatedly that for months together, you know, whether it's Agra or Lucknow has been polluted in winters, I think that's the way we have tried to be strategic about what we can do in terms of public communication. We can't do a lot. Can you elaborate a bit on how do you engage with uh, policymakers on several issues? Sure. Like I said, you know, it's mostly for us about simplifying conversations. And I think our engagement with policymakers is in that spirit too. First, we do make it clear that we come to it from the point of view of climate action. There are many organizations, there are many efforts and initiatives. And I think, especially for Indian policymakers, I feel unless we are not able to simplify it for them and make it very focused for them, it is very hard to engage. They already are invested in many issues from several angles. So my view has been that if we are able to offer some additionality over and above what they are doing through their own department, then that becomes of value. As a communicator, I think they have also been able to utilize the power of us to be able to communicate to a wider audience as something to their benefit. For example, last year when we were working in Maharashtra, then the state government wanted to talk about some of their efforts that they're doing in the state. So we helped them conduct a series of meetings or uh, public gatherings, what was eventually part of what's called the Maji Vasundra campaign. My Earth uh, campaign, mostly talking about mangrove conservation, even things like electric mobility, 43 cities in Maharashtra turning net zero. In the end, you realize that some of them are just statements and announcements, and some of them are very important things like uh, mangrove conservation for a state like Maharashtra and a city like Bombay. So I think engaging with policymakers always is a mixed bag. They come with issues that are of interest to them. And to be able to find that connecting point where we both, you know, converge has been a thing which takes a little bit of parsing initially. But uh, eventually, I think where we have cracked it, that has served us well. We worked with the Delhi government off and on, just helping them on communicating about air quality, oftentimes also now trying to communicate about electric vehicles, the importance of shifting to electric vehicles and so forth. And I realize as well that as a government machinery, it is important for them to communicate through channels which are not just the government channels. And we try and play that role because that creates a different kind of an amplification. Our channels are different. People who amplify our messages are different. Our influencers are different as compared to who the government will directly reach out to. But on the other hand, sometimes on tricky subjects, contentious matters, Policy-related conversations and which your specific question was, engaging with policymakers eventually does come down to two or three interested, motivated officers who are even able and willing to listen to us and, you know, engage in our perspective. And that itself is valuable. Sometimes even that does not happen. That's great. This has been such a fantastic conversation. I have one last question from my side, which is like, you know, a lot of times when I was a journalist and, and Shreya can attest to this, like a, a lot of time communication and maybe climate communication faces a lot of like err of the media, like, you know, what is this, that this this is being repeated or like about and people perceive that sometimes it's like PR or whitewashing content, right? What's your thought on that? Like, how do you kind of, if if you face any of that and if you sort of like, how do you navigate that space? For sure. I mean, climate change is very poorly translated as a concept and as a policy matter across states and regions in India. And there are many reasons for it. We can talk about how, you know, there is a gap in how the issue is being reported. We don't have a well-formed climate beat. Even among the top papers in the country, the top publications, 
climate is still covered either by somebody who has been writing a lot on various aspects of policy or somebody who has been covering the international meetings of the conference of parties or someone who is an environment reporter and will cover climate and that's the best that you can get so given that there is also that gap you know in the newsroom on being able to handle the subject and given media deadlines it's quite natural for a journalist to feel either you know this does not make sense to me today or the story does not link to my beat in a context that i can draw any local connections or this is just something that is not relevant in the context and it is just a greenwashing idea that is coming from the west actually the greenwashing idea is a big thing to watch out for which we will as well and i'm sure you will agree with me that as concepts like net zero bringing down emissions faster will become more and more prominent there will be a need to keep more and more watch of what is real bringing emissions down or what is greenwashing and then you know greenwashing can happen at any level of stakeholder engagement it will happen in other parts of the world you know it will happen with investors it will happen with countries it will happen with corporations and i think that will be the new in future kind of thing but uh, just looking back on how it has been yes in the regional and vernacular languages that story needs to be told as it makes sense to the journalists there we try and find those angles and intersections if those intersections don't exist uh, that story doesn't make sense to them and i think that is the reason why we always don't hit a jackpot and that is why we have also been slow and that is why the uptake of the climate message is not uniform and i think that is why the still a lot of perception and knowledge about how climate should be reported is a thing that needs to be built as we go along thank you so much this has been a, such an interesting conversation thank you for being very forthcoming and you know i really enjoyed the conversation yeah it's great to know the other side of the table thank you very much it was my pleasure to chat with you in a very freewheeling way i enjoyed it as well i had not visualized it like that thank you for listening to the india energy r subscribe to this channel to never miss an update to drop us a feedback visit our website or write to us at theindiaenergyr@gmail.com we are on twitter you can follow at tieh_r podcast and get in touch with the two host at shreya_j and at sandeep pai with double i